Let's get into our, our passage tonight. Last week we looked at chapter 16 and 17. And we saw that, that Ephraim and Manasseh, they took their inheritance. Remember, Joshua has led the children of Israel there into the promised land. They've defeated 31 kings, 31 nation states. Now it's up to each tribe to go into that land allotted to them as well as to first of all spy out the land and have borders set for them them to go in and to take that land and we know that some of the tribes had done that others had not we'll get in them tonight but Ephraim and Manasseh last week we saw that the borders have been set for their lands for their territory and I think the thing that's really stood out to me was that phrase they took their inheritance they went up and they went to work and we talked about that, that call and that charge to get up and to be a people that walk in what God has called us to walk in. To be a people that, again, are about going forward in who we are in the Lord Jesus, uh, going forward in our walks with Him, our witness for Him, our service to one another. And just talked about, again, our short time an opportunity to be able to do so. Tonight we kind of continue on that theme because we're going to see seven tribes and we touched on this a little bit last week. We didn't quite get into chapter 18, but we saw seven tribes who had not yet taken their inheritance. Even on that they haven't even they hadn't even sent out spies to you know what look at the land to come back to Joshua to say look at this is the available real estate and we'll see tonight we talked a lot a little bit already for Joshua to cast lots by the hand of the Lord to give those borders. And so Joshua charges them. You know, he basically says, how long will you neglect to go? It's time to get up and to go. Time is short. What are you waiting for? And we'll see tonight that they respond to that, that they send spies out into the land, and then they get up moving forward and what God has called us, called them to do. And again, we, we want to take this to heart. So We'll, we'll be looking at that, uh, you know, at that, that exhortation, that charge, as well as just other gems that are in these chapters. Just so many little nuggets of truth and reminders and so forth. Uh, I love going through chapters like this and, you know, at mining out, so to speak. You know, I think of a prospector and some of these chapters, a lot of times people just kind of, you know, glide over in their in their devotions and so forth because some of them are difficult, you know, and a lot of this stuff is here for the historical record and so forth. But going through them and just finding just these awesome exhortations and encouragements and so forth in these chapters. Now, one thing I, I want to do as well before we jump into chapter 18 is I want to correct something. I made a mistake last week and it just bugged me all stinking week long. Now, praise God, it wasn't a theological mistake, but it was a genealogical mistake. And I had to write on my notes, and for some reason, I had like a brain freeze, and I questioned myself, and, and I corrected myself erroneously when I did that. We were talking about Joseph and his sons Ephraim and Manasseh, and then Manasseh had a son named Machar, and then we read in, in, in the word that his sons were raised uh, on Joseph's knees. In fact, we read there in Genesis 50, it says uh, in verse 23, the children of Machar, the sons of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And somewhere in my mind, and I talked about this, the confusion with all of the names and so forth. Remember, we gave that encouragement like, hey, just repetition helps you know what the, the more we repeat these things and go over them the, the the better picture you'll get of how things unfolded and genealogy and all that and how it pertains to scripture and to our whole lives and and you know don't get encouraged or discouraged because sometimes it, some of these things can be you know okay who's this guy and who's that guy and and myself again got confused because i'm like i had it in my notes you know what my char's uh, sons were raised on their grandpa's knees and for some reason I'm like in my mind thinking wait Joseph and, and Manasseh no they're brothers and so that's their uncle and I said something like that as soon as I did I'm like okay you know what you're not thinking straight right now so 
just for the clarity as well as for the digital record that's out there. Absolutely, they were raised. It's beautiful. The children of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph, Joseph's knees. And, you know, the wonderful thing with that, and then we'll get into chapter 18. I see this as, as a biblical picture. And we, we did touch on it on, you know, grandchildren and nieces and nephews and so forth. This is a biblical picture of how grandparenting should be. Where it's like, I'm going to be involved in these kids' lives. I'm going to raise them on my knees as an aid to their parents who are raising them. I want to come alongside to be a blessing to my kids, raising their kids. The Lord willing, you know what? I'll be able to soon say I am a grandpa and I will be proud of that when that day the Lord willing comes. Looking forward to it. Especially coaching sports even better this time around. No. (laughs) Um, But wanting to invest them in that way. You know with Joseph, again, it wasn't raising them up on on his knees letting them be little monsters and then filling them up with sugar and giving them cowbells and sending them home with their parents. Sure, you can have a lot more fun when you're grandparents, but no doubt, you know, we know Joseph. In fact, you look at the word of God, the Old Testament saints, and many believe that Joseph, you know, it is one of the, one of the, the clearest pictures of Christ-likeness in all of God's word. You know, it's hard to, you're hard pressed to, to, to find error, though he was a sinner, in Joseph's life and the way that he lived, the way that he conducted himself. I mean, think about everything that Joseph had gone through and being sold into slavery and, you know, it being true to the Lord in all those years under captivity and so forth and all that he went through and how God orchestrated it all for good and then God exalted this slave this prisoner this man that had been accused of of a sexual crime that he did not commit exalting him through his faithfulness to God into the place of being second in command over the superpower of the earth and then God using him and those prophetic gifts that God had given to him to save all of Israel, which you may not know it tonight, but that was for us because Jesus Christ came through Israel and how he even forgave his brothers. We talked about Sunday, you know what, that we should strive to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You forgave others as I forgave you. And Joseph did that in a phenomenal, phenomenal way. And I just look at this and it resonates in my heart. He raised his grandchildren on his Knees, Oh, Lord, grant us grace to do that, to sow into that next generation as parents, as grandparents, uncles, and aunts. I know sometimes people get in a place where they want to do that, and they're restricted from doing that. Well, then, listen, you get on your knees then for your grandchildren, for your children, your nieces and nephews. If you can't raise them on your knees, then you get on your knees all the more and intercede for them and embrace that role even if it is as an outsider go before the lord build be determined you might say i can't build a college fund for them but i can build a memorial before god almighty for them that's the greatest thing that you can do for them now that i've corrected that joshua chapter 18 and again, we'll get into now the land that remained, remained to be divided. Let's just make our way down there. We're not going to read every section of 18 and 19. Some of these we're just going to, uh, in chapter 18 and 19, we're, we'll read a little bit and then allude all the borders and stuff. I'm not going to read through all that. I've given you guys those maps and so forth. And, uh, and, and, and uh, I think that's super effective for a visual of, of just seeing those borders. Now, Verse 1, it says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, notice here, which had not yet received their inheritance. Now the first thing I want to talk about here is Shiloh itself. The children of Israel had been there in the wilderness for 40 years, and then in the promised land now for five years we know when they got out there in the wilderness god gave moses the pattern for the tabernacle 
set up the Levitical priesthood for the ministry to the people as well as sacrifice, the purification things, everything that the Lord had called them to, the manner or prescribed manner of worship that God had given to them. And that again included a tabernacle that they would set up and tear down everywhere they went. And so you read through Exodus and some of those those early books and boy they're moving around all over remember the lord would go before them as a fire by night and a cloud by day and so that tabernacle would go with them they'd set up the 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 whole you know worship set up with the holy of holies there in the middle where once a year the high priest would even bring sacrifice and you could say it was almost like a mobile church so to speak it was a mobile tabernacle a mobile sanctuary and so forth and now that they had come into the promised land shiloh would be the first prominent home for the tabernacle as well as for the ark of the covenant it would become the main religious center for israel predominantly throughout the time of the judges uh you know we finished joshua and then lord willing we're going to jump into the book of judges you talk about a wild book i mean i love reading through the book of judges and through that time it was before israel had a king and god would appoint judges to you know what lead them spiritually as well as you know help bring order to israel and so forth the the ark was there in shiloh and yet that would fade out because you get there into first um, samuel and we read about eli who was the priest whose sons were were incredibly rebellious and he would never correct them it, it was a time of that would eventually call be called ichabod in israel the, the the glory would depart even from the tabernacle because they had so embraced the way of the pagan nations around them and it goes back to what we've been talking about them not fully driving out the canaanites but keeping them around for various reasons it, it would infect them and so we know that they're doing battle against the Philistines and the Philistines are roughing them up because they are not really putting the Lord first. And guess what? When we don't do that, God will use Philistines and other things to rough us up to get our attention. And yet instead of repenting, they said, we got an idea. We'll bring the Ark of the Covenant. We'll take it out of the tabernacle where it belongs and we'll take it out to us with us in battle. And when we do that, you know it will surely have victory so they're looking at the ark almost like a good luck charm or something and remember there's a great cheer in the israeli camp and the philistines they actually had more of a fear of god it seems than the israelis because they're like what's this well what's this cheer and they're like oh they, they they no doubt had spies and so forth they're like they're bringing the ark of god into battle and they're like we're, we're gonna we're gonna be defeated and they give, you know what, a, a, a charge to, to the Philistine men. Look at, be brave and be strong. They had more of a fear of God, though, than the Israelites did. And what happened, they took the ark of God out, the Israelites. It didn't do a lick of good because their hearts weren't right with the Lord. And we know the Philistines actually captured the ark. Now, God would use that to chasten the Philistines because all that ark did in that presence of God there do was, was put a fear of God on them because plagues broke out and everything else. Then they finally said, we got to get rid of this ark. And, and you know what? I think they used some wisdom. They got, we won't just send it back. We got to send it back with an offering. And then they said, let's take this. Let's take two cows that just gave birth that are bursting with milk. And we're going to put them on a cart. And then we're going to put the ark on that cart. And if this is all of God, those cows will carry that ark up to the Israelis. If not, those cows won't. Now, look at a cow that needs to milk is looking for a calf. And so for those cows to do what they did to take that ark up to the Israelites that went against all of their natural instincts and show those Philistines, yes, you have seen the power of God Almighty. And gloriously, God used the Israelis' rebellion to no doubt minister God's power to those Philistines. Aren't you glad that God is just good like that? And who knows how many of those Philistines that we may see in glory who repented from that. Because, again, it was God's heart to use Israel to take the gospel to all the world. Now, when the ark came back, it wouldn't go back to Shiloh. It, it, would, it would bounce around for quite a long time until David would finally go and take Jerusalem and absolutely 
the tabernacle would be sent up there with the ark. And then Solomon in his days is when the temple would be built and the ark would be there up there on the temple mount and so forth. So I think it's important. I think it's worthy of taking a little time to talk about that because Shiloh is one of these places that come up. And especially early on there in Joshua and Judges, you'll see Shiloh and you'll see it's the center of worship. And then some people say, well, what, what, what happened to that? Again, the ark would eventually go there to Jerusalem. And really after the ark left Shiloh, it pretty much fades out of, out of Scripture for the most part. You don't, you don't read of, of her much anymore after that. Now what's also interesting about Shiloh, it's the word Shala in the Hebrew and it means you might know someone named Shala. You know, it's, it's, it's a name that comes from Shiloh. And in the Hebrew, it means security, successful, happy, prosperous, or to be in a safe place. And no doubt when the Israelites had driven the Canaanites out and they secured Shiloh, they absolutely had a feeling of security and success and prosperity. And indeed, the Lord had given them success and prosperity and a place of safety. But here's the thing. The way that is maintained is by walking with the Lord. Because really, you know, there's only one safe refuge at the end of the day. And it ain't any, any person, place, or thing outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's awesome about Shiloh is Shiloh is also a description of the Messiah. When you think of security, when you think of joy, when you think of prosperity, when you think of safety, when you think of success and having that in life from the biblical viewpoint, that's found one place in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and Him and Him alone. In fact, Shiloh is a prophetic, again, description as well as name of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to Genesis when Jacob was prophesying over his 12 sons, which we've been talking about in this dis distribution of the land. There in Genesis 49.10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And so that was a prophecy that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, would come out of the tribe of Judah nor a lawgiver between his feet. And then it says, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So this is a reference to the Messiah, that the Messiah is going to come out of Judah. And again, what does the Messiah bring with him? He brings security. Aren't you glad that in Jesus Christ tonight, you have the security of your soul being saved, not through our efforts, our works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone. And let me tell you, true security, success, joy, prosperity, safety, again, in the biblical sense, which is the better sense, it only comes through faith in the Lord. As I thought about this, I thought about 2 Peter 1.3, it says, uh, His divine power has given us all things pertaining to life through the knowledge of Him. All things pertaining to life, where are they found? Where are they found? Through the knowledge of the Lord. Through knowing the Lord personally and knowing the Word of God. You want to, let me ask you tonight. You know, do you want to abound in success in the view of what God says is successful? Do you want to uh, prosper in, in the manner that the Bible would say this is true prosperity? Do you want to have security in your soul and a sense of safety? You want to have a joy. You want to have a happiness. That is found through the knowledge of the Lord. You want to abound in those things? Get to know the Lord Jesus Christ more. And those things will abound in your life through abiding in Him. Now, we also need to know again that, that, that the war had been won there in Canaan. But many battles remained. Remember, again, they'd driven out these 31 kings. Now each tribe needs to go up and to completely eradicate the land of these Canaanites that didn't want to easily, you know what, move out and so forth. We know some of the tribes have done that. But again, notice the underline there in your notes, seven tribes uh, which had not received their inheritance. So the war was won, but it was up to each tribe now to go out and to battle. Well, again, there's an application for us tonight. 
Praise God, Jesus Christ has won the war. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. We have victory in the war has been won. But until the Lord comes back in His prophesied second coming, there's battles that have to be fought. And really walking with the Lord again in this world wanting to live for Him, there's battles every single day. Every single day we got a choice to make. Do I want to get up, take up my cross and follow the Lord? Do I want to go live for the Lord, shine for the Lord when we do that? We talked a lot about this in Peter and here in Joshua. There, there's opposition to that. Our own flesh oftentimes, again, is our biggest enemy. Uh, Paul talks about that wrestling between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, and Peter it talks about, again, the, the flesh that wages war against the soul. And we got to recognizing that walking with the Lord, it's a daily battle. Some people, again... That, that idea of having to put in that work and so forth, it doesn't appeal to them. In fact, it probably doesn't appeal to any of our flesh whatsoever. That idea, i got to get up and study to show myself approved. I need to be a prayer warrior. I need to be using my gifts. I need to be looking for opportunity, hopefully out of a heart of love, to share Jesus with others. It's a daily battle. Again, we talked about praying for our kids and grandkids, being resolute in that and so forth. I think that there's, the, you know what, there's that idea of easy believism. I say a prayer, I'm good, I go about my own business, it's popular. And I think even amongst believers, this idea of easy soldierisms, make up a word here, is popular as well. You know, let me just be in a place where, where I've called on the Lord, and then hands are laid upon me, and then I just skate, you know what, in victory everywhere I go, and there's no opposition and so forth. And I don't got to put in any work. That's not biblical. Now, praise God. Let's lay hands on one another. Pray for one another 100%. Now, there are going to be times when the Lord may bring a supernatural deliverance in an area or so forth. Absolutely 100%. But we see throughout the scripture that it is a daily call to soldier in the Lord. Again, the war has been won, but there are battles that are before us. And it's where it's so important that we take on a soldier's mentality. That we understand that is part of the Christian walk. Doing battle. Praying. Being prayer warriors. A people of the word. A people that again manage our lives and so forth. Again as Jesus said in Luke 9.23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the idea of get up and go. Again, these tribes hadn't received their inheritance because they were sitting around even though the war was won. Now notice verse 3, it says, Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall, they shall rise and go through the land survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me and they shall divide it into seven parts judah shall remain in their territory on the south and the house of joseph joseph shall remain on their territory to the north you shall therefore survey in the land seven parts and bring the survey here to me that i may cast lots for you here before the lord your god so again how long will you neglect to go why weren't they going i i just kind of thought because this is so so typical of today you know they were probably more caught up on their social media commenting and giving their opinion of what was going on in the other tribes there's just so much of that everyone's got a comment on what's going on over here over there what's going on in your life they're probably more commenting on you know what you know did you hear caleb just defeated those sons of anak the glory of god's there oh let's run over there bro god wants to work right where you are right where you are and he's saying why are you sitting around it's time to get up and go take what god has given to you right where you are god wants to work right where we are at and here's the thing we only get one short life and we don't want to squander it so he says get up and go i thought of what jesus said there in luke 21 34 but take heed notice not to everything going on around you. You need to use discernment with things going on around us. But he says, do you guys see it there? Take heed to yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. 
and that day come on you unexpectedly. So, for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the earth. Speaking about the Lord's coming, watch therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, we're only count worthy through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. But this is a call to be about his business, to take heed to yourself. And look, at it just, it just, it just is a pet peeve of mine. It irritates me to no end where it just seems there's so much outward focus and again we need to use discernment especially things that are being forced on us or put out there or being presented as something to partake in to help you spiritually we need to vet those things and test those things but it just seems like so many people live their life focusing on what's going over here and over here and over here and so forth and they're not taking heed to themselves and we need to step back and say what's going on in my life What is going on in my life? What's going on in my prayer closet? What's going on in my daily studies with the Lord? What's going on with my witness? What's going on in my, you know, at love for Christian brothers and sisters around me and so forth? And basically Joseph's saying, you need to take heed to yourself. It's time to get up and go. What are you waiting around for? So he says, pick three men from each tribe to go survey and spy out the land. And then I'm going to cast lots. And finally, three guys get up, as we'll see, and they go, and something starts to happen. And so oftentimes, again, nothing happens until someone's willing to get up and go. There's so many examples of that in the Scripture. I think of Jonathan and his armor bearer when they're having a standoff against the Philistines, and he finally just says, I'm tired of sitting around here. Let's go up to those Philistines. And here's the deal. No doubt the Lord put it on his heart. Look, at, if, if, they, if they shun us, we'll know that... that God hasn't delivered them to us. But if they say, hey, come up here, we're going to know that God's delivered them into our hands. And Joshua goes up and they say, hey, guys, come up here. And the next thing you know, Jonathan has just chopped down so many of these Philistines, you know, over, I think it's like an acre of land or so forth. And then what happens is just a battle erupts. But it didn't happen until they got up and they went. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I just want to touch on it real quick as well. Joshua says, go spy out the land, and then I'm going to cast lots before the Lord to give these borders to you guys. And we talked about this, how this was an Old Testament practice to hear from God, but absolutely it is not a New Testament practice that we are to walk in. We got to remember at this point, yes, they had the first five books of the Bible, but there was so much of canon that was not completed the Old Testament was nowhere, nowhere near to being done. Again, a New Testament wasn't even in their minds. And so this was one of the ways that the Lord would give them direction. We need to know that we hear from God today from the Word of God. You want to hear from the Lord? Get in the Word of God. Because I'm going to tell you right now, not only will the Lord speak to you in gen- gener- 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 generalities, general things, I'll get out there. But he will speak to you in specifics as well. If you are in the word of God, it is amazing how he will do that. And absolutely, we are to test everything by the word of God. Because yes, there are times when God will press things on our heart. He'll burden our hearts for certain areas or so forth. And we test, is this the Lord by God's word? Does this line up with Scripture, You know, if, if, if you should have someone pressed on your heart to pray for them or go visit them and so forth, you know what, unless you know you're going over there to sin with them and you're trying to put that on God, but you, you, you have them on your heart to minister to them, I think that's a pretty good, you know, uh, clear thing that that's from God because He's called us to love for one another and care for one another. And I think that's one thing that God will often do is lay people on our heart. And we see that's a biblical thing to be concerned about others. But we need to make sure because there's just so much out there, you know, what, of, of, of people trying to peddle an easy way to hear from God because they just don't want to get in God's word. I hear it all the time people say, I was hungry for more than God's word. I wanted more. I read the Bible, but I wanted more. That book that I talked about, that's what it was. That's what the author says. I read the Bible, but I wanted more. So I use this new age practice to listen to, listen to Jesus, and I'm getting messages contradictory to the scripture. You're not hearing from God. Let me tell you, God, again, 
God speaks to us through the scripture. And for anyone to say, you know what, it's not enough, I want more. Have you even gotten to the word? Have you even got into it? Because I'll tell you, even tonight in our study, guys, we're barely scratching the surface. We have God's written word before us, and he wants to speak to us. John 8, 31, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. How do I know the truth? How do I know uh, what's of God and what's not? What's true and what's false? By a feeling? By an emotion? By an experience? No. He said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And that's how you know what is true through the word of God. But here's the thing, guys. That takes work. That takes putting in time. That takes being a Bible study student. That's meat and potatoes Christianity. That takes a willingness to go on a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning and hear a guy preach the Bible for an hour straight. A lot of people don't want to do that. They would say, that's just too much, and boy, you know, it's overwhelming, or it's a thing where, you know, it's not exciting enough. I don't know about you guys, though. I get excited about God's Word. I don't know if you ever noticed it. I get excited about the Word of God. The Word of God is good. But there's been so many surveys done that say that most people that profess to be Christians today, they determine what's right or wrong, not by the scripture, but by their feelings. You hear it all the time. Well, I feel, I feel, bro, don't tell me how you feel. Give me a Bible verse. Give me some scriptures about this, that, or the other. Oh, you heresy hunter, you know, spirit of religion. Bro, I'm standing in the words of Jesus Christ. He says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you associate that with all that, then I welcome it. I'm fine with those titles if that's how you want to view it, because this is what Jesus has put forth. Look, it is super concerning when people are hearing from God, quote-unquote, messages that contradict the word of God. That's when you know you're hearing from another spirit. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You've heard these verses before. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And again, God's word is prophetic. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Notice, test all things. Hear, hear this tonight. Look at I get so irritated because certain individuals and certain things and certain people's minds, well, that's an untouchable. Well, you can't question that guy. You can't test what he said because he's on an upper echelon of everything. He's an untouchable. No, none of us are above God's word. No doctrine, again, put forth by men are not above God's word. It's not, we're going to give this a pass because this or that is going on. We need to test everything by the Word of God. Look, at this is biblical. This is the Word of God, you know, given to us, written for us. Again, we know there in Berea in Acts 17, Paul, the Apostle Paul, it's like, let's put a, let's put a ledger up of, of men of God. Number one, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Who's coming in second place? I think Paul, pretty safe best. Paul's coming in second there. When you look at his body of work and how God worked through him. And yet he goes to Berea and what do they do? They search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so appalled. And say, what are you doing here? I'm an untouchable. You can't question me. Let me tell you about these experiences and so forth. No, they were commended by the Holy Spirit as being more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And hear this, even Jesus himself we talked about this recently in Peter. Jesus himself stood on that he was Messiah because of what God's word said. Not an experience that he gave, though they did have the experience of his resurrection, which was biblical. But it wasn't through, hey guys, I'm going to give you a feeling that I'm Messiah. After he rose, we read there in Luke 24, 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow 
to heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and enter into glory? And then hear this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Lord says, here is the word of God. I'm going to hear, hear this tonight. God placed this on my heart to share it. Anyone who discourages you from testing all things, even popular things by the word of God, may have good intentions based on their own reasonings, but they are not giving biblical counsel, period. Might have a good intention, but that is not biblical. We should never be in a place where we're ashamed because we're testing something by God's word. And here's the thing, if something is of God, the individual or movement or book, whatever it is, the author, they're going to have no qualms with that whatsoever. I got no issues with you judging these sermons, these notes and so forth, by the word of God. In fact, I'm hoping that you do that at every turn. Again, Paul didn't sweat it when they said, we're going to test you by God's word. Paul's like, go ahead, you'll get saved through that. You could get born again through that because I'm bringing you the truth of the word of God. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Again, we do that through scripture. God has given us his word. Well, we're here at verse 7. <laughs> but the Levites had no part among them for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. So Ephraim, Manasseh, the other half of Manasseh, Judah, Gad, and Reuben, they all had their inheritance. The Levites are amongst them, and praise God, their inheritance was the priesthood and the Lord himself. The Lord is our inheritance, praise God. He is our inheritance. We've talked a lot about that. And then in verse 8, it says, Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you again before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land of the children of Israel according to their divisions. So finally, someone got up, surveyed the land, and stuff started happening. Again, you got to take that first step. And here, there's better to step and sink and cry out to the Lord and get rescued to step again than to sit around. Because I think sometimes people don't want to step out because I might fail. Look, at God even works in failures. Do you know that? I probably learn more of my failures. And there's been many of them, let me tell you, than oftentimes in maybe successes. And I really think even when you step out and you fail and you learn, is it really a failure? I don't think that it is. I don't think it is at all. Well, notice verse 11, it says, And the lot of the tribe uh, to the children of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot came between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. I'm not going to read all the borders here. But one thing I'm going to point out is in verse 28, there's a city here that was allotted in their area called Jebus. And notice it says, which is Jerusalem. And we touched on this a little already in this study, but I want to hit it again because it's important. We know from Judges 1... And in Judges, there's some overlap into Joshua. We read that it says in verse 8, Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. So they went in and took Jerusalem, or Jebus. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And then you go down 10 verses, 11 verses, 13 verses, I guess exactly. In verse 21, it says, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites, who inhabit Jerusalem, so the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And I think the reason that this happened, because Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And Saul started off well, but did not finish well. He was the king according to the Israelis' fleshly desires. Remember, they finally said, we don't want you to be king God. We want a king like the nations around us. And look at God was going to have a king 
who had a heart after God to conquer Jerusalem. And it was when David would become king that they would finally conquer Jerusalem and then build that temple and set it up in its proper place. And this ties into end times things today. We know that Jesus Christ is, is, is coming back. No, nothing's changed in the Bible since Sunday when we talked about that. Jesus is coming back. And Jesus is going to set up his millennial reign in the nation of, or in the, in the city of Jerusalem. It is a holy place. People say, oh, go to the Holy Land. You know, Jerusalem, Israel, it's the only place in the Bible called a holy place. A holy, it is a holy land. And Jesus is going to set that up. But we know before he comes, there's going to be a character there called the beast or the Antichrist. We've talked a lot about him. And he is going to try to conquer Jerusalem. We know that again, armies are going to surround, surround Jerusalem trying to kill the Jews. We know that he will set himself up. In a, in, a, in a temple that will be built there, and he's going to say that he's God. He's going to bring a sacrifice that's abominable to the Jews that is going to make them go, we, we are in a bad deal here, that's going to bring desolation on them, but it's also going to turn them to Jesus Christ. And praise God, they're going to grope for their Lord, Jesus, who is in the line, not of the tribe of Benjamin and Saul, but of the tribe of Judah and through David. And Jesus is going to come back and he is going to put all of that down. And what's amazing, again, in these chapters and these things, you see the, the, the prophetic patterns throughout God's word. And it's amazing. We can read this right here and maybe just overlook it. But if you really then compare it with prophecy and so forth, you can see, again, this is pointing towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just take a little bit more here. Verse 19, or chapter 19, um, we read of Simeon. Again, another one of, of Jacob's sons, Israel's son, another tribe. It says, The second lot came out for Simeon, Simeon for the tribe of, of the children of Simeon, according to their families. This is interesting. And their inheritance was, was within the, the, excuse me, with and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. And if you go back to that map I gave you guys a few weeks ago, if you look of the map of the tribes, you'll see Judah in the south, and then right there in the middle it says Simeon. This is what this is referring to. And notice verse 9, again, borders are given, and then verse 9 it says, The inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah. For the share of the children of Judah, notice here, was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. I think there's a few things to talk about here. Number one, this is a good example. If something is too much for you, the reason is, is because you're supposed to share it with others. It was just too much land for them. And instead of hoarding it or saying, we're going to keep it, they said, let's share it with our brother Simeon. One thing that is true biblical, biblically and true in life, when you get into hoarding, you're going to get into a losing pattern. Because practically things deteriorate on earth, and you're just hoarding it, and you're not using it. You know what that is? It's deteriorating wherever it is. Also, listen, when we just want to stockpile things on earth, and versus saying, look it, I have more than enough here, it must be to share with others you might have that here on earth if you hoard it i think of the guy that built barns and he filled them and he says what am i going to do so he says to his soul soul system stuff i know what you do tear down those barns and build new ones and god says you fool don't you know that tonight your soul is required of you that guy could have been building barns in heaven there's probably some north county folks that their mansion is going to be a barn up in heaven you know Think about what the Lord said. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and still. And we've talked a little bit about this. Yeah, you know what, a, a call to provide for our families, a call to prep. But some people just get so caught up in that, they're storing no treasure whatsoever in heaven. And if you've got areas where you're like, it's just so much... I, run into people I'm like oh it's just too much for me i got so much and their, their, their complaint is everything they have to manage that's because you're supposed to be giving some of that way to others 
We're not talking about the government coming in and stealing it from you and giving it to others like we talked about Sunday. That's not biblical. But we should have biblical hearts that are generous. That recognize I have been given much to bless others with. And this is a great example. Again, a little nugget here. It was too much for them. And instead of hoarding it, and they would have lost it. The Canaanites would have taken it over. They're like, let's give that to our brother Simeon, even though it's within our boundaries. And let me tell you, what a great place to be. Surrounded by the tribe of Judah. We know Jesus would come from Judah. It's almost like a picture of being surrounded by the Lord Jesus Christ. God blesses generosity. He is not a fan of hoarding and stinginess at all. Again, it's a place really, again, of, of, of abiding in the Lord and walking in the light. Now, we'll close on this. Sadly, sadly, at some point, Simeon would turn to the Lord, turn, turn from the Lord, and they would exit Judah and they would turn from the Lord to go worship a golden calf. We know eventually the tribes would split. Rehoboam would be there, the king of Judah, along with Benjamin and the Levites. And through time, many from those other tribes would migrate down. But initially, all the other tribes went to the north. And a man named Jeroboam, who became the standard of wickedness for the kings of the north, didn't want anyone to go from the north down to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. So we know that he set up two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And for you guys going to Israel, we will go to that altar where that golden calf was. It is all dug. It is on the border of Israel and Lebanon. It is an awesome sight to see. They set up these golden calves. And Jeroboam makes the proclamation this is your God that delivered you from Israel. Now, look, at he wasn't original in that. We know Aaron had done that. Aaron had falsely, when the people complained, what happened to this Moses? Well, give me all your earrings. And, and it says he carved a golden image, and he said, here's your God. And boy, did it do those people any good? It says they basically rose up and play. We won't get into the Hebrew to what that's getting into. It's some ugly, ugly stuff, stuff that went on there. And so Jeroboam probably even said, look at Aaron taught this. Aaron's an untouchable. We don't question Aaron. Aaron, you know, you can take things out of context. The devil's really good at doing that. Aaron, so this is the doctrine of Aaron, guys. So this is good. And Simeon, again, Simeon did not test that by God's word. And we know that Simeon migrated to the north. They didn't stay down there in Judah. They didn't stay down there near to the temple and near to God. And praise God, there was a king named Josiah. It was one of the last kings there of Judah before they went into captivity. And we know that he brought reforms to not only Judah, but even to those northern areas, even though the northern tribes have been taken into captivity. And we know that he did that because he found the word of God. <laughs> And when he found the word of God and was read to him, he said, oh my goodness, we're in total sin. And he ripped his garments and he repented. And it's interesting in verse 6, and this is where you just get in. This is why I love God's word. I, I don't know how anyone can be bored of the word of God. This is exciting stuff. I mean, if I'm the only one excited about it, then praise God, I won't stand up here and be excited. But I think you're here tonight because you love the word of God. Second Chronicles 34. Again, it's talking about all these reforms. And then in verse 6, talking about Josiah, it says, So he did, and it's talking about going in and cleansing these places of all these altars and all this idolatry. In fact, well, let's just read, uh, uh, we'll go in verse 4. They broke down the altars of the Baals in the presence, uh, and in his presence, and the incense altars which were above he cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images he broke in pieces. He made dust to them and scattered it on graves to those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So he's talking about the south. And then it says, And so he did to the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far north as Naphtali, and all around with Axis. And we know from this that Simeon ended up in the north because there's no record of them in the south. And so somewhere along the line, they were introduced, again, to Jeroboam's lie. 
the doctrine of Aaron that he was corrected of and repented. And everyone said, man, this, this sounds good because we can experience seeing God and touching God there on that golden calf. Yeah, it goes against God's word, but this is a great experience. And no one said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't scriptural. This isn't biblical. Some people said, how, how dare you do that? You heresy hunters, what's wrong with you guys? Did that turn out well for that tribe? Let me tell you, this is on my heart heavy tonight. The Lord said the last days would be marked with deception. And if anyone reads their Bible, they know what I'm saying is true. It's repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again. We got to be a people who endure sound doctrine, not not with a critical spirit in the sense of, I want to be right, but with a heart of love for others. Someone's got to stand up and say, let's open up God's word. And you might get blasted for that. You might get called names for that. You may say, what's wrong with you? We all, here comes the Bible guy. Well, you know what? I think that's an okay thing by God's standards. Let's take it all back to the scripture. Because this is an example of what happened when men abound, abandoned the scriptures. They went from being, again, surrounded by Judah. You can see like being surrounded by Jesus to being led astray. Lord God, we praise you tonight. We give you glory. We thank you for your word, God. Thank you for our time out here this evening, God. You are so good to us. And Lord God, I just thank you, Lord. I marvel through the Old Testament how you worked and intervened and kept your promises. And Lord, kept these tribes intact and corrected them at times and all these interactions so that you could come into this world in the way you prophesied that you would to die for our sins and resurrect from the grave and give salvation to whoever would call upon your name. And we thank you, Lord, you haven't left us as orphans. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you have given us your word. And as we'll see, Lord willing, this Sunday, that, 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 that the flesh of man is like the grass of the field and the flower that fades, but the word of God endures for ever we thank you for that god listen if you're here tonight you haven't called upon jesus the bad news is that we are sinners we are under condemnation the good news is that jesus came according to the word he lived a sinless life he went to the cross to take the wrath to us because of our sin rebellion transgressions he took that upon himself he rose from the grave and defeated the wages of our sin, which is death, that whoever would call upon Jesus would be born again and saved. I hope we all know him here tonight. If you don't, call upon the Lord. He wants to meet you where you are at. God bless the rest of our night here, our fellowship. Bless all these saints gathered here tonight, Lord. I know it's a cold night, and I thank you for these, these people who just wanted to come out, God, to fellowship with like-minded folks who love you. Worship God, get in the word, just continue to bless our fellowship, God, and, and uh, God, we give you glory, we give you praise, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, God's people said, amen, God bless you.